You will be a weapon. You will be a minister of death, praying for war. I just want to apologize to Josh's mom and my mom. And I'm sorry to everyone. Bazinga. 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 Welcome to the Brick Pit, everyone. This is the podcast you didn't know you didn't need, where we have serious talk about unserious things. I'm Adam, and joining me today is a man whose sweat is said to be used as a primary ingredient in baby formula, our good friend Josh. Also with us is the former lead camera operator for the Red White Camera off Exit 38, Jason. And uh, this week, we're going to be talking about uh, some interesting things that have to do with overhyped movies that we just generally don't, we don't agree with the hype. I'm really stoked about this. You <laughs> <laughs> can hear the energy. <laughs> Let the hate flow through you. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is going to be a fun week, I think. First of all, you know, what we usually do is we kind of establish what we're talking about. The way we're, way I was thinking about this is overhyped movies. It could be one thing. It could be like the studio that has just marketed the crap out of this thing. You've seen previews for it for months or maybe even years leading up to this massive release. And there's all this excitement and energy over something that just turns out to be a complete crap dud. Or it could be something a little more close and personal, like your friends who just harass you all the time about this greatest thing that you have to go watch. You have to see it right now. And then you finally do. And it turns out to just also not speak to you. You know, we always talk about how in the brick pit everybody can love and hate everything and that's okay. And I think this is another great example because I suspect that the three of us are all going to have some movie on this list that one of us at least likes, maybe. You know, it's all very subjective. There's a fair chance that we're going to crap on some movie that you really, really love, dear audience member. And if that's if that's the case, we're really, really happy about that. <laughs> I'm glad you went there because, man, that was, that was, let's talk about hype and then I'm going to be as even keeled as possible. No, because because this is a place where we talk very seriously about unserious things. <laughs> and and if we offend you on some movie that you just absolutely love, that like is fantastic. Snatch. Yeah, well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but if we do, this would be a great chance for you to chime in on the conversation and let us know what you think. And we'll have details about how to do that later in the show. Josh, why don't you kick us off? Tell us, uh, tell us what you're thinking here. Hype up hype. Let's start with that. That's a good Be the okay. hype man for hype. Yeah, so uh <laughs> got a really great, great thing coming up here. <laughs> I, I think a lot of the problem is everything is overhyped now. Uh, we live in a super segmented, targeted world, especially feature films. It's like everything is the end-all, be-all. Even like when you get into uh, like story arcs and TV shows, it's always, we have to save the universe. You did that last season. Yeah, but we're saving all the universes now. <laughs> The multiverse. <laughs> the multiverse. The well, stakes like, are even higher. Right. It's like, <laughs> what? Why can't you just save the cat in the tree, man? Like, <laughs> that's that's important to somebody. You know, this reminds me. You said something on one of our more recent shows about how horror movies, or even zombie movies, I guess, there's always the like one-upsmanship. Every like the first, the the original iteration is always really good and clever and can have a, an interesting 
hook to it. But if it's successful, then there's this pressure. The fifth iteration, it becomes almost a parody of itself because the whatever the original right. idea, the kernel of the original idea has has spread to this absurd thing. You know, there's a lot of that sort of in movies in general these days. I, I guess it's, yeah, I guess it's kind of like uh, like natural inflation and eventually it will <laughs> yeah. burst and your movies will be worthless. <laughs> <laughs> Buy Dogecoin. <laughs> I was about to say, just get Elon Musk to tweet about your movie. <laughs> it started with the, the summer blockbuster, but now it feels like like that's all that's left. The, the smaller films are kind of like going to the wayside, so everything's super hype. Everything's a tentpole movie. Or like a streaming staple, like Stranger Things. I don't think the next Stranger Things is ever coming out. Boy, they won't stop talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that the pandemic and the way sort of the release of movies has changed i'm asking you to make a prediction the two of you because i don't have an answer to this but the tentpole movie do you think that will be the only thing that survives will the will the art movie the the simple small release limited release movie no things are changing Mm -hmm. uh as far as theater releases go yes it's mostly going to go to your big budget blockbuster film because that's what people go to the theaters for now. I mean, that's been the change the past 20 or so years. Uh, Streaming and stuff like that, I think that's where you're going to get your smaller films. You know, Netflix keeps bringing in people like David Fincher and stuff like that. And, you know, getting these big name directors to kind of come in and and do smaller films and do some bigger films as well. Uh, They're trying to compete. But uh, yeah, the indie film release in a theater, you're going to see that mostly in the big cities simply so they can qualify for an Oscar. I'm going to make a hopeful prediction as resident optimist <laughs> as uh as the mall bunker movie theaters kind of die off i think we may and this is wishful thinking but i think we may start to see and and you're having simultaneous releases like i mean most major releases now are on hbo max same day as they are the theater that's right. that's not going away the the cinephiles will still crave the experience of going to a theater so that yeah. there may actually as you know, the multiplex will probably die. I think that we may see a rise of like more one or two screen theaters, old school, and kind of have a resurgence. And that it's possible that that smaller films and stuff will will find an audience there. I, I would like this won't happen, but it, I, it'd be nice to have a resurgence of B films. You know, that are not Sharknado on sci-fi. Right. So one of the things that I don't I don't know what it's like in where you guys live, but the real world, the real world, um, in the market that I live in. Just before the pandemic, this really took off. All the theaters that aren't your Regals or your AMCs mm-hmm. have have transformed uh, to follow the Alamo Drafthouse model. Mm-hmm. Our good friend uh, of the podcast who never listens, Zane, uh, he he actually came a couple years ago. They did a Lord of the Rings marathon at the Alamo, mm-hmm. and uh, it was you know like twelve hour journey <laughs> in the theater, and it had themed meals that were brought you know at each of the movies. Oh, and, that's really cool. And uh, yeah, it was a great. It was a super fun experience. Was meat back on the menu? Meat was back on the menu. In fact, I how did that, orcs know what the menu was? <laughs> in fact, I think that was one of the appetizer names. Like when they brought was meat back on the menu, and it was basically just a chicken on a stick or whatever. But it wasn't even like a meatball, like with like olive fries <laughs> or something. I think there, are, in a lot of places, that's going to be, and the way they, the way these places survived during during the pandemic is you could rent them out, the whole theater, and they mm-hmm. would show any any movie you wanted on the screen, as like a party venue, and they've continued that uh, even now. 
And I think, I think that's a really cool thing. And I think it's a place where like the fans of the B movies that are really successful could petition these local screening places to show it as like a well, one-off event. I think it's a viable that's, model though. Yeah, that's that's something that's been happening for a while now. I mean, yeah. we've been to, you know, there used to be a drive-in movie theater here and it would mm-hmm. show Top Gun mm-hmm. and stuff like that at, for like charities or whatever, or just a way to get people in the door, figuratively speaking for a drive-in theater. <laughs> And even right now, a lot of those large chains, you have, you know, the phantom event stuff right? where they're showing old classic movies. And I've been to several of those because these are films that I've only ever seen on TV. Right. Uh, and there is an experience seeing it on a giant screen. Absolutely. Well, th- there's also the, the, the kind of simulcast thing has, has taken off, too, yeah. which has been interesting. The Mystery Science Theater guys mm-hmm. have been doing a lot of those where they'll ad lib over something in real time. Did you know they do riff track? of our show <laughs> that's that, that would be incredibly boring to listen to because it would just be them sitting there in stunned silence even they would have <laughs> i got nothing Crow. This, is so, this is so terrible we can't even comment on it this is awful it, it would just be one of those instances of like tom servo just going insane and screaming <laughs> <laughs> for the entire duration. Mike Mike Nelson just heavy sized the whole time. <laughs> There's no dialogue. It's just uh. <laughs> How much are they paying us to do this? <laughs> I mean, I sent them a roll of quarters. That's right. <laughs> Mostly quarters. That's a, that, that's a very ominous thing to receive just with no like. <laughs> well, I wrapped it in death certificates. That's right. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how to interpret this thing I just got. <laughs> you know, you get a roll of quarters from your grandma. You're like, oh, that was a that's a thoughtful gift, I guess. You get a roll of quarters anonymously in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> That's a different conversation. <laughs> My grandmother would always give me a roll of quarters before I went to the schoolyard to fight. <laughs> and, 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 and an to old pay off sock. the bullies. <laughs> I had two choices. I could, me. I could pay them off or I could, you know, tape it to the inside of my hand. Have It's like having weighted <laughs> gloves, man. The old penny roll. <laughs> you know, one of the things that I wanted to kind of touch on before we kind of get into our picks is the idea that I've, as I was thinking through this episode, a lot of my gripes about hyped, overhyped movies are not necessarily just about the hype, but also the way people who liked the movie didn't understand the way I wanted them to understand the source material or the thing that preceded it. And in the instances of something of things like things came, came from books or things like that. And in the movie objectively may be a fine movie for people who don't give a crap about the actual source material. And, and I have to kind of stop and separate myself from that. Sometimes I've gotten, I've gotten better about that of viewing each medium as its own artistic mm-hmm. expression as I've gotten older. Uh, but we'll talk about one later here that just re- recently. No, no, we've already recently. talked about Tom Bombadil. We're not doing <laughs> I thought this was I thought this was his Charlotte's Web diatribe. This is right. <laughs> he has he has five copies of Charlotte's Web next to the the road. Uh, it's like if you don't like the road, you have to take Charlotte's that, Web. That I watched did the Netflix not do it justice and ham last night. Let me tell you, I did not way off book. If we're talking about Mike Myers, Cat in the Hat, then like you know certainly. Oh. Fair, fair. Go, going off book. <laughs> I just don't believe Horton actually heard that who. <laughs> it was an unconvincing portrayal. <laughs> that that was the uh, Dr. Seuss book that was ghost written by Philip K. Dick. <laughs> <laughs> 
There was a satellite shooting pink lasers into Horton's head. <laughs> he was living in two realities. Dr. Seuss is the uh, is the Tim Burton of authors. <laughs> yeah, think about that for a second. I, I don't think I want to. <laughs> If you if you don't get that reference, you need to go listen to one of our most recent episodes of Josh's Hate Box, which is uh, dedicated to the art and character of Tim Burton. But I, I don't mention Dr. Seuss at all. <laughs> I'd say it Neil is. Gaiman is the Dr. Seuss of. Oh no, that's good. <laughs> of Doctor. I don't even know where we're at anymore. <laughs> so, are you, are you guys excited? <laughs> Well, to, to salvage this now, I think the only thing left to do is talk about the movies. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to what we in the business call the doldrums. <laughs> We've always been there. We're just introducing you to That's all right. This is the place we dwell. <laughs> I'll take the first crack, and maybe we'll go round robin or just, just kind of free-for-all it. But uh, the easy one for me is Avatar. Which, mm-hmm. first of all, I don't know, is it still the most, the highest box office movie ever? Or, you know, it was for a long, long time. Sure. It was, <laughs> it, everybody loved this movie. Here's everybody. the thing, though. Everybody saw the movie. I don't really know anybody that loved the movie. Like, I didn't want to see the movie, but I ended up seeing it, I think, twice. So. Yeah. That's actually really telling, because I saw it twice, too, and not because I wanted to. No, it those, and, it's, like, and it's largely forgettable. It's yeah. it's almost... Avatar is like... It's like a Ponzi scheme at this point. <laughs> because it's like... We're making five movies. We're filming them simultaneously. Uh, there's a Disney ride. Well, Avatar came out what 2010? Yeah, yeah, oh nine, I think. Yeah. yeah, who who cares? Right. Who the, there is literally no one that's sitting at home going, "Ooh, I can't wait till Avatar two through five. Not, not even, <laughs> not even James Cameron. No, that's right. <laughs> but but he's he's somehow generating billions of dollars. He's the Patrick Rolfus. Uh, <laughs> he's he's living off of potential sales. He's the hype man for it. <laughs> that's right. Let's all make a prediction right now, and then we'll play this clip when they come out. They're not coming out though. <laughs> my prediction is is that these movies are even more overhyped and even twice the crap as the original. The best thing that I've heard about Avatar is the Disney ride. That's <laughs> I've not been on it. I haven't been to. I, I haven't either because it's like a three day wait or something. <laughs> <laughs> they're taking t- they're taking orders for twenty twenty three right yes. now. So that's, well, I mean, yeah. the thing about Avatar is all James Cameron films technically they're their masterpiece the scene where I can't even remember the, the main character's name now that's how much I don't care about the film <laughs> wasn't, but, it Barry, <laughs> wasn't it played by Barry Pepper no no Same. Sam something yeah a forgettable actor too but when he wakes up and like the cryogenic thing and you see it in 3D mm-hmm. like James Cameron used 3D the way other people did you know other people just throw stuff at the screen at you whereas mm-hmm. you know this guy woke up and his head moved and you could see depth there was like a depth mm-hmm. to the action and then you go like outside of his pod and like all these people like floating inside the ship and opening up all these cryo tubes and all that kind of stuff and it had depth with that 3d and like that is the best use of 3d yes. i've ever seen it's 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 exceptional tech demo and, exactly. it, and it is certainly much better than like the the post-processed like 3d that they'll do on marvel films and stuff mm-hmm. um it looks wonderful but the story is crap yeah yes <laughs> Well, it, it's it was unfinished. When you have the MacGuffin is unobtainium, <laughs> I, like I'm done, I'm out. Yeah, that, 
unobtainium, yeah. really. I, I that is something <laughs> that is something you would see in a TV show when Making they're like they're it. investigating like a sci-fi convention. <laughs> Yeah. And they just need something for like this popular series within the show. Oh, Unobtainium is like this. It's like, no, it, no one sounded- who's an actual sci-fi fan <laughs> would use Unobtainium. That was a place marker in the script. That's right. Yeah, I forgot had- to go back and change. Had to fix it. It sounded like a bit from Psych. Right. right. Well, it, <laughs> it, it, it didn't make any sense. And I, I think it wasn't the original script that like somehow like we needed the, uh, the humans needed Unobtainium to live. Yes, to save the planet Earth. Right, but yeah. they cut that out because then all of a sudden it's like, well, yeah, screw these blue aliens. It's going to save the Earth. Like, depending on how you frame that story, right. uh, it's not so black and white. Yeah. But no, we didn't get that. That might actually no. be an interesting story. Yes, that, that, would, <laughs> that would actually have a, a conflict of morality within that story. But no, Like, that's... reflective of real life. Yeah. Wow. But nope. <laughs> And here's the sad thing, like Giovanni Ruffisi as the main bad, and that's like, I could say his lines the second before he did. Mm-hmm. Like, that's how terrible that movie was. His dialogue was so cliche. But it looks so good. Yeah. Once again, technically fantastic film. Uh, horrible smashing of Dances with Wolves and Smurfs. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, I mean, the same thing with like Titanic. It's like, you know, they got the uh, the rivet makers that made the original rivets to build the set. It's like, and? Could- <laughs> <laughs> These plates that, that you see for three seconds, we like tracked down the... Uh, the 107-year-old man that originally painted them and forced them to paint these 200 plates that are used in one shot. Fantastic. We used actual <laughs> corpses from the Titanic sinking. <laughs> <laughs> so. yeah, it's like, I don't care. That's fantastic. That looks wonderful, James Cameron. That's why your movie cost $100 million or whatever, because you, you probably could have done it for 30 I'm going to ask you a just for a minute and, and play sociologist for a minute and, and answer this then. Why did it gross so much money? And then why did I end up having to see it twice? Why did Teenage you girls. Twice? Oh, we're talking about Avatar? Yeah, I just... Here's the thing. I don't I was not excited about Avatar. Didn't really care to see it. But I I don't really remember a whole lot about the movie, but I watched it twice in the theater. Yeah. Because your friends wanted to see it for some reason. Yeah, That's it the was some kind of it's some kind of mass his hypnosis or something. Yeah. So I, I really do think it like exemplifies my idea of hype. Yes. It, yeah. It's just a flash in the pan was super exciting for a hot minute. And then when we all look back, we're like, why? Why did we? I think there might have also been some excitement. Uh, it's kind of like when Ridley Scott came back and said he was doing Prometheus. It's like, oh, Ridley Scott's doing sci-fi again? Mm. Yeah. And he's like, yeah. <laughs> and you watch it, it's like, yeah. <laughs> Boy, hey, it, at least they made more than one of those. <laughs> <laughs> Same deal, but it, you know they followed through. Yeah, that, that's a fair point. God, that movie's all right. Josh, what's your one from you? What do you got? Uh, well, I thought of some while you were giving your excellent introduction because I wasn't oh, paying good. attention to what you were saying. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, I, I'm digging way back. I'm gonna say Dick Tracy. When did yeah? When that did was that, that had a McDonald's tie-in. Mm-hmm. And it had like the Madonna song in video. Like, yeah. had, had like a huge cast of characters. Like, what? Oh, the... yeah, Dustin Hoffman, Al Pacino. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Just, uh, yeah. Just 
it Shop was full of big name talent. It was like hyped up as much as Tim Burton's Batman was. And I think a lot of it is because of how successful Tim Burton's Batman was. Sure. They, and that, that's a movie that was in the next year. Batman, the original Batman was was super hype, mm-hmm. but yes. it met expectations. I, I was very happy with that as a nine year old or whatever. Dick Tracy. Not so much. Let's take this uh, Depression-era cartoon guy. and <laughs> The kids will love that. Yeah, it, it was definitely uh, because there was a sort of that, the Phantom and the Shadow and all that stuff. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, with the success of Batman, then you had like all these old guys in the studio systems like, well, we'll just, we'll do Terry and the Pirates. That was my favorite comic <laughs> as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's like, you know, no one in that time, like the kids are always like, what's Dick Tracy? Right. right. I, I don't think Billy Zane ever recovered from the disaster that was the Phantom. No, no, I don't think he did either. So he's like wearing like bright purple in a jungle. He's a Phantom. Like, you can <laughs> see him like 10 miles away. It's like a beacon. <laughs> like even in the 30s, they understood camouflage. <laughs> <laughs> I saw I saw Dick Tracy in the movie theater, and I, obviously I was too young to drive, or I would have left. Um, <laughs> when I think back on it, it's like it's the only time I ever saw it. I, I had a viscerally bad reaction to that film. It just it looked terrible. It, it was uh, so I've got the uh, 4K Blu-ray, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> I smashed it. Yeah, <laughs> you can you can see the makeup line on uh, Al Pacino's face. It's beautiful. <laughs> You threaten your kids with it. Go clean your room or I want to make you watch this movie again. Dude, uh, CPS would be here so fast. <laughs> if you have kids and like it's like in your like cart in Amazon, like you get a call. <laughs> Just hey, you're not, not going to show that to your kids, are you? You know that's illegal, right? <laughs> Nobody wants right. to see that. All right, Jason, what about you? Okay, I went and I actually Googled like overhyped movie just to see what other people were saying. Because I was looking at a lot of people who were obviously like in their 20s and they're talking about like movies from the 60s, like, oh, it's so slow paced and all that. It's like, yeah, I'm just going to deal with movies that I've seen within like a year or two that they came out because without the context of when it came out and all that kind of stuff, it, it gets a little kind of iffy. So uh, I, I'm going to hit like the most recent one on my list, the most recent one that came out. Uh, that a lot of people loved, and I saw it, and I was like, eh. And that's The Joker. Mm. My my first Scorsese film. <laughs> <laughs> Baby's first Scorsese. That, that's the thing. About, like, it's, it's like an okay copy of an old mm-hmm. Scorsese film. Yeah. And then because you throw, like, all the Joker stuff on it, it's like, it, it, it doesn't help the movie. Yeah. Like, oh, you have to explain the laughter because it's joke. Oh, okay. Here's here's the Wayne family for some reason. <laughs> right. That's a, that's a good explanation for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> here's here's some exposition. <laughs> oh, oh, they're they're gonna play dramatic music over it. That means it's important exposition. <laughs> it's, Somehow it's Palpatine returned. <laughs> The, the two separate parts of it just they don't help out each other like they they actually kind of kneecap the I other agree. end it, it's almost like the, the Joker skin was added like late in production to, oh, yeah, to help yeah, sell it's, it. it it's very clearly I, I liked you know Taxi Driver mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know the yep. King of Comedy and stuff like that you know I love these Scorsese films so I'm going to make one and here's the Joker 
Mm-hmm. And very big King of Comedy vibes. And yes. I mean, yeah. And and like I said, there's the kernel of a good movie. It's just it's not allowed to be its own thing. And I also just automatically I have a distaste anytime anyone decides to come up with an origin for the Joker. Sure. Mm. That's that's a character that the mystery about where he comes from and why he mm. does what he does is a central part of it. Anytime you try to explain that you're diminishing the character uh, at the risk of, of over oversimplifying sort of the i had several people who were this is actually a really good example jason of the second thing i was talking about which was i had not yet seen it i, I missed it when it was out and everybody's like you got to see this movie it's just the best i just love this movie but only the only people who were saying that to me were the kind of people whose judgment in film i almost always disagree <laughs> with <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> and so I actually resisted wa- because of that. I resisted watching it, and I saw it for the first time this year. Yeah, I, I watched it on HBO Max when it hit theirs. I'm already paying for this service. I, I, I'm not I paying found for the it. film specifically. Right. And so I, I was having a conversation with one of uh, my daughter's parents, uh, friend's parents, and um, mentioned how excited I was about Dune coming out. And uh, they were like, oh, we can't wait to see the new Venom. Mm. Well, I was like, all right, well, this conversation is over. (laughs) I'm going to politely not say a word about what I really want to say. I, I just want to go back to the Freudian slip of where you just admitted that your daughter, my daughter's not parents. Daughter. Yeah. <laughs> I want to go back to that. Look, <laughs> there, there's some stuff we, can we got. There's some. There's some like there's something we need to unpack there, Josh. We shift Jerry Springer, and we can get people listening. My wife's daughter. Uh, That's right. <laughs> When I was in high school, there was uh, a guy I worked with, and he was. We talked about movies and stuff like that. And then he told me, "He's like one of my favorite movies that just came out. You need to watch is The Pest with John Leguizamo." So I said, "All right, I- I'll give it a try." And I watched it, and I never talked to him about movies ever again. <laughs> like that, that subject was off the table. We talked about other stuff, <laughs> but we never talked about films again after I watched that on his recommendation. Now you know how our audience feels. <laughs> <laughs> I want to check this movie out. Jeez. <laughs> I, I do sometimes wonder if there's like, there's a, a contingent of people who listen to this and just do the exact opposite. There, There's people who've never seen the joke and are like writing that down. Like, I'm going to go watch that tonight. If Jason hates it, man, I'm going to love it. <laughs> If, if there weren't hate listeners, we wouldn't have any listeners at That's, all. <laughs> well, however we can serve our fans, right? That's <laughs> I'll bring up a, a personal point here. This and and like I'm admitting something that I've probably never admitted before. Buckaroo Banzai. I watched Buckaroo Banzai maybe three or four years ago for the first time. Jason, among other people, talked about how wonderful it is. Uh, and I just. I wouldn't say wonderful. Uh, it, it's a funny film. It's definitely of its time. It had all the elements of a film that I should like, but I, it just didn't hit for me. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think because I watched it in my 40s and yeah. not, not my teens. It, that um, is definitely one of those that it you have to watch it at a certain period in your life in order to. I mean, I I love Peter Weller. I love the whole idea that of like basically like just leaning into the whole Gary Stu thing. It's like where he's like the physicist, the brain surgeon, the rock star, and it just fell flat for me. I kind of feel that way about Cowboy Bebop. I watched it when it was new and I loved it. And then, you know, they're doing the reboot or whatever. So I went back to revisit the original and it doesn't hit the same way it did when I was younger. I don't know. I don't know. There's a lot of things like Clerks, that whole genre of film plays different at different phases of your life. Yeah. 
Clark Clark's is the you can never go home <laughs> film franchises. Yeah. <laughs> you, you you if you miss that window to watch it, yeah. you, you can never <laughs> and, and and don't rewatch like like yeah. I, I I sold or gave away my DVD years ago. It was something that, that yeah. I watched at least twenty times. In yeah, my head. and now it's like it's, you want to watch Clerks now. Super <laughs> Super Troopers is kind of that way for me too. That that brand of humor, I remember loving that when it came out. I thought it was the funniest movie ever made. And then I and then I watched it again. Was that after you had had the uh, the electroshock therapy? That's right. It was after the brain damage. <laughs> After the bad motorcycle Wait, accident, oh, right? Hold on, <laughs> you, you don't think those two things are related? <laughs> <laughs> meow. I don't think they are. Meow. <laughs> I've never seen it, but I, I but you know, enough. much like Monty Python. Yeah. <laughs> I can I can fake it. <laughs> I had a friend of mine who absolutely loved it. I, it's it's an okay movie for me, but he's just like, man, you don't get weed humor. No, I get weed humor. <laughs> I don't get humor that you have to be smoking weed in order to laugh at. There's a difference. Right. There's there's a difference between nice dreams and even like a lot of adult swim stuff and pineapple express. And I don't do like I don't like any of those like Pineapple Express. I don't like Harold Gamar movies. I don't like Pineapple Express. I don't necessarily think the Super Troopers is a weed movie per se. It's not. It doesn't. That's not a central tenet to the storyline or whatever. The humor of the, the it was more slapsticky than anything to me. That's the kind of humor that that cracked me up. You know, it's but it's a movie like I could never go. Speaking of movies, I'll never watch again. <laughs> We, we weren't, but go to, ahead to do to do, a, to do a natural segue, which is also an overhyped movie. Is the is the Indiana Jones Crystal Skull fourth film? Yeah, which I was so looking forward to. I think this is probably one of the most may, maybe Star Wars Episode One would probably be the absolute worst, but this was the second. It's where funny something you from- mentioned that because. <laughs> None of us put episode. It's like we all didn't didn't want to open that door. Well, it's, well, I, mean, I didn't. I didn't put it because it was like a given. Like that's I, we, like, we all were stoked about episode one, but it's yeah. like yes, you can you can. It's like a it's like a line of demarcation in my life. Yes, the, the time yeah, before, before episode time. one, yeah. and then <laughs> everything after has been a disappointment ever since so, Watto. <laughs> It's like, you know, graduating from boot camp and then actually going into college. <laughs> that, that was the that was the year I became a man. <laughs> like I remember sitting in the theater for episode one and just like this excitement welling up in me. Oh yeah, when the LucasArts yeah, yes. yes. I was, I was freaking the, out. The Fox fanfare and everything. Yes, yeah. yeah. Just that, and just when you hear just that John Williams score kick in, and the crawl and everything, and you're real excited. And I remember stepping out of the theater, going, "What the hell did I just watch?" Let me tell you this real quick. quick. So, right. first of all, they did the. Do you remember they did the like re-release of all the originals mm-hmm. like before? Yes. So I'd never seen episode, I'd never seen a New Hope in theaters. Obviously, it it was before my time. I remember literally being to in tears at episode one on the big screen. That's how much I enjoy Star Wars as at that time in my life. And I waited with great anticipation for this movie. My dad and I we bought tickets to go see it. We went to, we were going to go see a late night showing when episode one came out. We were standing in line with our tickets ready to go into the theater, and it was all they were showing. Like every screen mm-hmm. was episode one. There was nothing else on this. And we're standing in line and the previous showing lets out and everyone comes out and it sounds like they just left a funeral. 
<laughs> and I remember, I remember being like, maybe it's not that bad. <laughs> a, a sadness that I'm, wouldn't be seen until the last Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> I remember just being like, maybe it's not that bad. And then, oh, I, I, I lied to myself about the film. I saw it probably four times in the theater. Yeah. And before I admitted, I was like, all right. <laughs> but here's, here's the thing that's, that's the most frustrating about episode one. It's super uneven, but like almost like in an alternating pace. Because like the movie starts out and it's Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan kicking butt. And you're like, oh, oh my God, yeah. look, Jedi running. Oh, it's great. And then it's Jar Jar Binks. And you're like, uh, what? And then it'll be something, then it'll be like an awesome lightsaber scene. And then it's literally Anakin stabbing at buttons and blowing up accidentally the big droid ship. Or mm. or Jar Jar doing his Buster Keaton-esque, you know, debacle, destroying all the, all the droids. And you're like, dude, like, cut that or- stuff out. And it's awesome. The Darth Maul stuff was yeah. fantastic. Yeah. But the bad, but then it's like, then you get like just this boss Nass. With it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. terrible. I, and I, I've always said that I think Jar Jar would be a bit more palpable if you could never understand what he was saying. If you just reacted of the other actors like Chewbacca and R2D2. Right, there, there's a cut where they they did that and they actually put they they scrambled his his audio and put subtitles. Yeah. And they also there was uh they they changed because they did that they were able to change his dialogue some. What they did was like they circumnavigated the whole going to the Gungan city and instead like they made it look like Jar Jar was showing them an underground way to get to the palace by going through the uh through the ocean. And it's like, "Man, okay, he's useful." And and that makes sense. Yeah. Instead of this whole kind of like side story of just ridiculousness. <laughs> and also, let's be honest. If we understood what R2-D2 was saying, he'd probably be one of the most annoying characters in cinema. <laughs> it, it would certainly be rated R. Yeah. Because <laughs> let's face it, R2-D2 is like your drunk friend that doesn't listen to anything you're saying. It's, it's, it's like, like, hey, no, don't go in there. You're not supposed to go there. Screw you. I can do what I want. He's like, he's, he's that guy from Boondock Saints. <laughs> Please quit messing with my shit. <laughs> That's very expensive equipment. I went to ITT Tech. Right. I know what I'm doing. You're literally a droid that we fished out of the garbage. Please stop messing with. So in that same vein, you know, so Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones second second most disappointing day of my life. That's why I was yeah. not hyped for the Crystal Skull because exactly. so I, I, I'm totally Charlie Brown with the football, man. You I'm are, sorry. man. I, it can't be this bad as the It cannot be. <laughs> I'll tell you how stupid I am. I'm looking forward to the, this fifth movie coming out, this Indiana Jones movie. That's how stupid I am. I'll probably go see it. You got theater. battered husband syndrome with this <laughs> franchise. <laughs> I you need to go to a shelter, man. No, no, it's <laughs> here's what it is. Syndrome. Okay, so if you study psychology, you know about intermittent reinforcement. The Pavlovian response is stronger if you don't give positive feedback, or if you don't give the treat every time. You give it every like sixth time or at an intermittent level, right? And it superimposes that groove in your brain that makes you want that reward. Blade Runner 2049 or 2047, whatever it is. Second Blade Runner. Fantastic. Just a fantastic film. There have been other examples where the sequel is just as good, and I looked forward to it, and it made me so happy. But by and large, the sequels are always, always terrible if, I've, if I'm most excited about it. And I think the perfect example of that is this stupid Crystal Skull movie. There's so many things that we could crap on about it. I think the 
the easiest of low-hanging fruit is just the script was terrible. You know, the whole story was just... And it, I and, understand and also, what they were trying to do. Like, they were trying yeah. to move it up in time. And so you have more of the 50s, you know, sci-fi yeah, beam. That was a great idea. I like that. That's but cool. It, yeah, they didn't yeah. keep it together. Like, you introduce in the, the early parts of the movie that, you know, uh, Kate Blanchett's Russian character is psychic. And then you do nothing with it. Right. It goes right. absolutely nowhere. There was, yeah. there, there was a whole bunch of Chekhov's guns lying around. Yeah. Not one of them fired. And, yeah. and some of it was like, I don't, there's this fascination with trying to fool your audience. I'd say in the past 10 or 15 years, it's gotten pretty intense. We're like, oh, there's a, there's a trick to it or there's this, this reveal. And, you know, it's like the stupid stuff they did with Star Wars by printing it like red ink on black paper so people couldn't photocopy it and stuff. It's like, dude, I, come I'm on, man. If go you can. against that, I mean, there is an aspect of film being an experience and you, you learning about it through watching it and all that. And I understand that part of it. Now, the stuff like with J.J. Uh, Abrams' second Star Trek movie was like, oh, no, it's not con. Like, right, that's, right. That's yeah. Lying to me. Lying to the audience. Yeah, that's a deception. That's good movies. Like, like having the ending figured out or whatever doesn't make it a bad story. Exactly. I, it just it makes it a logical story. But yeah. so, so you have to have all this convoluted stuff going on and be like, oh, you know, it's like dude, we all that we all know that this is Indiana Jones's kid. I, like, I'll like, give you a great <laughs> example of that is is the movie Lincoln, which is a he dies. It's a fantastic <laughs> film. Really, really well acted. Really well done. There's no mystery of how this movie's gonna like, you know. But it's a you know it's it's a per- good storytelling and good script writing can supersede knowing the ending of the movie. It's not, and I think it's I think it's lazy when they do crap like they did in Crystal Skull or in Star Trek. You know, like it makes you angry. Not you're not like happy they tricked you or whatever. You know, it's, at least I don't feel that way when I leave. These I guys. thought the giant ants were stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, there giant stuff. ants. It was just a whole bunch of. Was it? It, yeah. it seemed like they ripped that off of a episode of MacGyver. <laughs> well, that that actually comes from a short story, uh, Leningen versus the ants. Hmm. Yes, I mean it. It it goes back, and that I mean once again, that's something that Star Wars and Indiana Jones always did. They referred back to pulp literature, or you know, the shorts, uh, the serials, and stuff like that. Shia LaBeouf. I don't understand. Mm-hmm. Like you want to talk about overhyped? Mm-hmm. There's overhyped right there. <laughs> because I, th- I think his star has fallen, though. Uh, yeah. But you're right. He was always. Um, he. I, I don't think he's that great of an actor. But there was a time where he was like there. Everyone kept saying whether true or not. Sure. He was the next. He was the next big thing. It's one of those things too that like proves that that Hollywood can push things. It's like I don't think I don't think he's a particularly handsome guy. And uh, and he was like pushed as like this big heartthrob. You know, I could I could tell the difference between a Brad Pitt and <laughs> and a Shia LaBeouf and and make and make a judgment call. <laughs> I mean, nobody's dreamier than bad Brad Pitt. So, so what you need to do, Josh, is you need to ask your wife. You need to say, "Who do you think's better looking, Shia LaBeouf or Brad Pitt?" So you can see if you guys have the same taste in men or not. That's. <laughs> I don't have to ask. <laughs> <laughs> That's the kind of question that you got to get out before you put a ring on it, man. <laughs> if if you haven't done that with your wife, then you're you're in for a surprise. I, I, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> when she says, "I'm a real Steve Buscemi, Mr. Bean kind of guy," like, well, I mean, that, that I mean, answers a lot of questions. Then, that, well, I mean, look, that's, there's no mystery in that. Look at my face. I mean, 
I definitely have a face for radio. So. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's roll on with the next one because I really want to talk about Josh's well, second no, I, uh, I wanna, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. I want to go back and just do another one because like Josh said, I pretty much expected that the Crystal Skull was not going to be on par with the other films. Once again, I want to point out how all the fanboys were like, oh, Temple of Doom is just the worst. Movie. Not anymore. <laughs> yeah, not anymore. kind of love that movie now. Uh, but I think at, at that point, though, like I said, the prequels pretty much showed us where George Lucas was at that point. It's, it's not the same George Lucas that did A New Hope in the late 70s. Part of that, when you when you look at this movie and then you hear the stories like for the original Raiders, the Lost Ark, like Spielberg wanted a uh, major talk to the, the Nazi to have a robotic arm. You know, Lucas is like, no, that's that's too out there. That's too outrageous. <laughs> And then here, this is this is the script that Lucas liked, and Spielberg was like, "Okay, we need to get a movie done." Yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so why don't we take a minute now and uh, take a listen from a voicemail received from one of our listeners? Hi, this is the son of Mister Shalmet. I asked my dad what the best show he had ever seen was, and he made me watch the first season of The Wire. Uh, my dad forgot about all the nudity, and my favorite scenes were in Orlando's Gentleman's Club. My question for y'all is, should we skip season two and go straight to season three, or watch season two? Oh, Mr. Shalmet, you made a man of your son. <laughs> <laughs> it, it may be moot at this point, because is this kid still living with him? I mean, I don't <laughs> Yeah, I think children's services. They found the wire and the Dick Tracy DVD. <laughs> we we got to take it. Well, Mr. Shalmets, this is Mr. Shalmets' youngest son, who I remember going to visit uh, he and his wife in the hospital after this boy was born. So this is aging me very much. And I mean, eliminating any question on whether or not our listeners are people we actually know. Right. Or people who actually <laughs> enjoy the show. This kid is like five or six now. And <laughs> <laughs> that, that voice comes from the two packs a day that makes you smoke. While watching Dick Tracy and, and <laughs> the Phantom. <laughs> I'll, I'll take a stab first. I okay. Think, I think I think he answered. I think he answered the question in the question, which is he needs to go back and watch season one again. <laughs> <laughs> do you have Do you have a slow motion button on your DVD? <laughs> do your parents have a Showtime or Cinemax? <laughs> Um, I absolutely think that you should watch season two of The Wire. It gets it gets a lot of crap dumped on it, but it's fantastic season. The whole rise and fall of Ziggy is is really has some pathos to it, and and I think it the larger narrative, like the great thing about The Wire, is like each season is a different aspect and kind of expanding the scope of the drug trade. So you you know you start out in season one, guys on the street corner selling season two you kind of see the international connections season three is shows the kind of systemic problems that you have that include like the school and uh government fourth season is you know how the vacuum's filled once you take one of these 
kingpins down there's somebody else that may be worse and then you know season five is kind of how that the the media interprets all this stuff for in kind of a sensational matter so it's like by the time you get to the fifth season you see that it's not just the guys on the street corner and that that it really is a systemic problem that there's no easy answer to Uh, and season six is the quinceanera (laughs) <laughs> season six is when they go to Miami for <laughs> they get a dog <laughs> then they a new kid is introduced cause, cousin <laughs> Oliver comes in to sell drugs on the street corner I, I liked season two so watch it <laughs> learn it there will be a test so as always thank you to our listeners and, and the children of our listeners who want to leave us voicemails to uh, rat out their parents <laughs> Because we love, we absolutely love that. <laughs> it's the next generation of Rick right. Pitters. Yeah. You've now been exposed to dozens, literally dozens <laughs> of listeners. That's right. <laughs> you're, you're, you're mildly famous in a very small corner of the internet. <laughs> Seriously though, we appreciate the voicemails. And uh, if you have a voicemail that you want to leave, we would absolutely love to hear from you. Uh, the easiest way to do that is at anchor.fm forward slash the bricked pit. And so uh, back to what we were talking about. Uh, this episode, which is the overhyped movie. And uh, I really want to hit on one Josh and I are in absolute agreement on, and I bet a vast majority of the population of this country will be mad at us for saying that. Wow. Well, we, we <laughs> talk, we've talked about this in the past. So yes. yeah, he's, he's already hit on the hate on this. <laughs> is it that you don't like musicals or is it, you don't like this musical? I like this musical in particular. And, and more so specifically since we, we're talking about movies and the only exposure I've had to it is the, the performance on Disney plus it, it's Hamilton. Yeah, it is. It is terrible. And in the, the performance that is, was recorded and put on Disney streaming platform is atrocious. The, uh, some of the <laughs> harmonies and some of the songs are, are really off there uh some of the singers are like flat you know it's like how many times have y'all done this and this is the one that you decide to put on streaming like this episode like <laughs> people are listening now saying of all the things you said you decided to put this episode on right um i was just, I, not only do i agree with you and and i think this really really fits the overhyped theme because this is perfect for one of the ones that i saw or I, everyone adam you got to hear this adam you got to hear this and they and they they approached me for this because I, A, uh, have a degree in history, and particularly with a specialization in American history. <laughs> and so they think that this is like right up my alley. But then when I watched it, I'm like, oh, oh no. <laughs> this is not- this isn't this isn't what I thought, and I don't have. I mean, I don't hate. I don't hate on musicals per se either. I, I, they're not my go-to genre. But for I'll give you a quick example. I took my family to see Lion King on Broadway, and I really thoroughly enjoyed the stage production of that. Oh yeah, that's incredible. It was hair on the back of your neck, stand up, awesome. It was mm-hmm. really truly awesome. We were we were also kind of privileged to be able to go do like the backstage tour, and meet the actors, and all that kind of stuff, and that was really cool too. And I'd never, I don't have any experience with live theater. Like I never did drama club or anything like that. So seeing how all the puppets were and how all the crap was done was really cool but those the were the thing was the sad thing was they stayed in character and he was bald by a lion <laughs> I was yeah I lost, I lost how I lost my left arm actually so. <laughs> but if I were invited to go back at, at backstage in Hamilton I, I would just take a history book with me <laughs> <laughs> Be like, I have some things to ask you people. (laughs) Let's start with chapter three here. (laughs) Well, I mean, they took some liberties, obviously, and a lot of it was true, true to the true ish. (laughs) 
to the story or at least to the sort of the way events occurred in real in real life. But I don't know. I just didn't dig it. I guess the, the historical part annoyed me, but that wasn't the deal killer. It really was a lot of the things that you talked about, which was I just I didn't think the production was that good. <laughs> well, no, I, I've had to watch it multiple times because my kids are super into it. And uh, and also it's like, like I didn't know anything about it other than like all my kids' friends who are now that I've seen it, are like, oh, you're definitely too young to watch this. Because like in the yeah. first song, there's like some lyrics that I was like, oh, so now I have to have a conversation about what these <laughs> words mean. Yeah. Wonderful. The stage production itself is like, there's a lot of like walking around stage that's like, I guess, choreography, but it's essentially just people kind of walking back and forth across the stage. It's like real lazy. Like that that's what you're hyped about? Is that like Cirque du Soleil going on back there? <laughs> it's just... This isn't necessarily a, a crack on. I, I feel like maybe this is a George Lucas situation. <laughs> Where when Miranda kind of got in his own head, and there were there was just too many people around him going like, "Oh yeah, that's that's gold, Jerry. That's comedy gold." <laughs> you <know? laughs> and, but you know, maybe we're wrong because it's a super super popular. Everybody seems to love it. I, I am sure that Lin Manuel Miranda like lays it in his gold bed at night, <laughs> and he goes, "Man, you know those fat bald white guys? I'm really <laughs> concerned about what they got to say." <laughs> Yeah. As he's he's wiping his brow with with Benjamins, That's um, right. <laughs> uh, I would assume I would assume he'd wipe his brow with Hamilton's. I mean, that yeah, would be fair, fair, fair enough. enough. <laughs> be funny, you know. But I'm not as funny as he is. <laughs> well, I'm cooking stovetop stuffing, and he's having like wagyu beef every night. He's he's real concerned about. How I yeah. feel. Oh, you didn't. But you streamed it, right? You bought Disney Plus to watch it. <laughs> it's like uh, Ozzy Osbourne said when uh, there's all this protest of his albums and they're burning them. Uh, he said, well, you got to buy them to burn them. Ozzy for the win. Yeah. So, so that, I'm sure that is uh, Lynn Manuel's. His performance in the, in the new um, Mary Poppins was terrible, too. <laughs> just for a final sucker punch but he admitted right. that he's he publicly yeah. apologized for his cockney accent he's like i can't do a cockney accent they, they paid me a lot of money and it's bad i'm sorry <laughs> you know until you mentioned that i had forgotten that i had subjected myself to that movie <laughs> it, it wasn't bad Oh no, it was bad. No, it wasn't. It was fine. Mm. I mean, it's not. It's not like Mary Poppins is like one of those things that was like dear to my heart. Well, so it was like you yeah, know, it's like I ain't mad at it. Speaking of uh, completely historically accurate films, <laughs> <laughs> another one. I, this one I'd like to talk about before we go back to Jason is is one that I'm going to disagree with you on because I actually oh. think the, this meets the hype. Uh, at least it did for me. You're not old enough to. Like been around when this came out. What year did this come out? I don't even know. Mid eighties. Yes, we oh, were right, around. No. I thought you were going to say you were old enough to be in Vietnam, were you? <laughs> it came out in eighty seven. Did you see it? You saw it when it came out. I saw it on HBO, probably. Okay, I was about to say, uh, right after Predator. Like <laughs> when I was ten, I watched a lot of things I shouldn't have watched. Okay. <laughs> I mean, all right. I'm not like totally off base here because it came out in eighty seven, but. I was so ten. Yeah, it, this was a. I guess this was a movie that was hyped for me in a way because it was one of the movies that I wasn't allowed to watch. <laughs> so it became like that forbidden fruit that eventually, you know, whenever I don't know how old it was, as a teenager probably when I finally saw it, and it totally was like, oh wow, that's a great film. 
<laughs> and I and I've rewatched it recently, and it still held up for me. Like I was, I, I just enjoyed Full Metal Jacket a lot. And, I just, and, I just uh, want to point this out there, and I think I've told this story to, to Josh before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, that's exactly what I was thinking of when I wrote. Uh, it's your story to tell. <laughs> yeah, my my father was in Vietnam. And I remember watching Full Metal Jacket with him. And it's, it, this happened at least a couple of occasions when it was on like HBO or something like that. And he would always watch like the first half of it where they're in boot camp. Yeah. And he would tell me he was in the army. He wasn't in the Marines, but he told me it's like, that's exactly what boot camp was like. Yeah. So that is exactly how they talk to you. That's exactly the stuff they did. And then as soon as they leave boot camp, he turned the channel. <laughs> He wasn't re- interested in the rest of the film at all. I, I will admit the first half, I'm more likely to sit through. I'm more I'm more likely to do what your dad did. If if I only have time to watch early army yeah, scream the, at, yeah, scream well, at guys it, for yeah, <laughs> and, and it, it's that's I think that's very legitimate. I think there uh, there is a there is a whole you know like platoon falls into that the same thing. There's there's like. Like Vietnam is was historically is is controversial. Uh, there's there's a lot of of nuanced talk that is outside the purview of this dumb podcast. It's almost universally framed in through one set of colored glass in film. They're both movies that like, and again the 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 endings kind of like didn't you know? It's like yeah, you're kind of losing me here. You know, there's definitely I can't think of many more films which are really two different, completely different movies in the same film right it's the split from boot camp to the to the rest of the movie it really does i mean it really does feel like two different movies well and i th- and i think that that's intentional yeah yeah but it was it, uh, it was one of those films that, that it was like oh you got to see you got to see and then you know and it's like it's full of great performances i'm i'm a big matthew modine fan believe it or not <laughs> I run I on my GeoCities page. I have the Modiniacs. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's how long it's the longest running website that's still up. I, I actually bought GeoCities <laughs> to keep it alive. The best buck eighty he ever. Spent. <laughs> that's right. Matthew Modine's portrayal in that film wasn't terrible. It's was really good, actually. I mean, and mm-hmm. is it is Full Metal Jacket the one where they 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 did create that animosity with uh, uh, Vincent, whose last name I can't think of right now, Vincent D'Onofrio. Yeah, that's it. They, who they, our they, viewers they, may know as the Kingpin. Yeah. <laughs> Whose career was built from this movie, right? If I'm, if I'm not mistaken, like this was his first real breakthrough role. Here, I'm really, I'm really wading outside of my depth here. I may be off yeah. topic, but in, in any case, it, you know, the the acting was great. Mm-hmm. The direction was fantastic. I feel like it did live up to the hype. That's all. Just to just to put a little controversy into it for you. Well. I- <laughs> Here's the thing in context of a of a Kubrick film. Yeah. Okay. And and, and do you like Kubrick generally? Because he's one of my favorite. Like, I, I do, movies. but I think yeah. he's also overhyped. So yeah, I mean, I, I I think you know, obviously he does the work. He does the. He's meticulous, but I would say meticulous to a fault. You know who else would agree with me? Shelley Duvall. <laughs> <laughs> Because it's like that's that's a little much, man. Like basically driving somebody crazy because <laughs> you want to make sure they look like they're having a nervous breakdown. Let them act, dude. Let them act. Don't, don't make them do the scene fifty times and not sleep. It, that's just mean. On the other hand, you know, two thousand one Space Odyssey is <laughs> is probably one of my. It's easily in my top hundred. Over oh, <laughs> you're just crapping on things to do it now. Nah, <laughs> You don't, you don't mean that, do you, Josh? <laughs> the best thing about uh, 2001 is um, the the last 
10 minutes is syncing that up with Pink Floyd's echoes. <laughs> it it works much better than uh, than Wizard of, Wizard Oz, of Oz and, and Dark Side <laughs> of the Moon. Highly yeah. recommend it. In any case, so uh, I'd like to hit next on, on one of Jason's picks here, which I, I also tend to agree with, and I bet Josh does too. Probably one of the worst movies I've yeah, The Blair Witch Project. I remember when this came out, we were in film school. They were even talking about it like in class. Probably the best marketing campaign ever. Yes. Oh, yeah, mo- most certainly. Uh, I remember getting into an argument with a friend of mine because he was just like, no, it's real. It's an actual it's like, no, it's made to look like a documentary. No, no, they actually, they found the footage. It's like, no, no, that's the story of the film. <laughs> no, you know, there was a, there was a special on Discovery Channel last night about it. It's like, no, that was the sci-fi channel. And it's a marketing piece. The chick was on Leno Thursday night. <laughs> So yeah, this is this is fiction, but it, it it's one of those things. Everyone thought it was real because it did have that good mark. It's like uh, that one person that comes into work Monday morning and goes, "Did you see that documentary on dragons?" Yeah, <laughs> <exactly>. <laughs> You're like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> they found some actual footage from the 12th century. <laughs> they found it in this guy's basement. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's the the Blair Witch Project. It's it's an interesting experiment. Yeah. It's a terrible movie. You know, it, it, it's it's an excellent film to bring up when talking about hype, though, because it I mean, it was a small budget film that that managed to create hype yes. to, to to a level that probably hasn't been rivaled since. Has been has been it's been all kinds of like it was the first viral marketed film, and now it's. You know that this kind of stuff is dime a dozen now. Like having the secret websites and kind of planting rumors around. I guess you know, uh, Cannibal Holocaust in the seventies kind of had the same vibe too. Like they had to prove that they didn't really kill those people in the movie. Um, right. <laughs> that's some great marketing. <laughs> <laughs> they in the in the pre-release marketing they listed all of the actors as either missing or just or dead in the Blair Rich Project. I don't know if you remember that, mm-hmm. but. That was that was such a just clever and you know and it's a cultural it's definitely culturally significant mm-hmm. because it, it popularized that found footage. But, I mean, you, but you know what the, it, the only thing the marketing and the hype is the only thing that is significant because the film yeah it's terrible <laughs> yeah it, yes even it, even for a low budget I, I've seen yeah. what was it like what's the time travel film the guy made for like seven thousand um, dollars oh I know you're talking about. Uh, yeah, I can't remember it. But that guys build the time machine. Yeah, that in the garage. That yeah. was an incredibly low budget film that was magnificent, very yeah. dense, very good. Blair Witch Project was none of that. It was terrible. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's just we we let them walk around in the woods for a week, and we'd leave them messages on on just you know, what the scene is. It's like, oh, so uh, now I understand why movies have scripts <laughs> because if you let just a bunch of jackass actors. Come up with their own stuff on the It's it's probably not going to be that good. <laughs> well, yeah, and I guess the, the scene where the girl's got the camcorder going up her nose and snot's coming out was like culturally significant meme of our time. Yes, so. <laughs> often parodied. Yes, yeah. Oh, so scared. <laughs> I remember it was uh, the episode of Family Guy where Brian the dog talks about he was a seeing eye dog for somebody from an afternoon and they went to see the Blair Witch Project. And so he's explaining the movie <laughs> to, to the blind person. It's like, okay, nothing's happening. 
happening. Nothing's happening. He's standing in a corner. The movie's over. Everybody looks pissed. <laughs> and that's that's pretty much the experience of watching the Blair Witch Project. That's like, I think I almost fell asleep during the movie. I, my dad, like it, the, the the hype was so real. My dad was like, I was home for the weekend. He's like, oh, I want to go see this movie. I was like, all right. And um, I had not seen my dad that disappointed till he saw me play baseball. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, he immediately drove you to the baseball diamond after that movie. <laughs> I've, I've got to get this out of my mind. Disappointment, son. Let's go play catch. <laughs> <laughs> so, and that's why dad left. <laughs> <laughs> His last words were, no son of mine would take me to see the Blair Witch. <laughs> I should have known better, you jerk. I'm going to pay for that fancy Mississippi film school if you're going to take me to that. Oh, <laughs> uh, poor Josh. <laughs> so I want to hit one real quick thing that I alluded to earlier, which is a, a movie that uh, that I loved the book, thoroughly enjoyed. And I think, again, our target audience, if you've not read the book, I'd encourage you to read it. Ready, Ready Player One. Um, I hated the book and the movie, so I'm going to bow out of this. <laughs> I, I I really liked the book. I thought the book hit it, it. I mean, it obviously had that whole... Nostalgia? Yeah, it, it was almost to the point of patronizing your Mem- audience. Member berries? Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I tried to read the book, and it was just like, nah. Well, I liked the book. <laughs> I hated the I hated the movie so badly that I I didn't finish it and that's and I and I was and it, again it was another one of those everybody that is sort of in my circle of friends who are all a bunch mm-hmm. of geeks and nerds and consumers of eighties pop culture crap were like you're gonna just absolutely just yep. love this and, I, and I, I had so many yeah. people like telling me to read the book and yeah. so it's like. It's kind of like the like the, the Big Bang how I feel about the Big Bang Theory it's like written about nerds by people that don't like nerds and uh, and because like I don't, it, that, I don't feel it, that way about the the ready player one book because well I the guy that, clearly is he thinks he's one of us i guess right but but i think he also fundamentally doesn't understand like in the one things where you like you go backwards in the race yeah. to to in real life that would have been figured out as soon as like the first day the game was released <laughs> right. i i mean that's just that's that's if how you, nerd culture works. Right. right if you yeah. if you don't understand that, that like I did that in Pitfall in 1982. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just but, like Futurama when it aired. They had, of course, the alien language, and they mm-hmm. thought, oh well, you know, as we progress through the season, people try and figure out this language and what these sciences. They had done it within 24 hours right. of the first broadcast. Right. So so it's like all the Easter eggs were like kind of like for people that aren't really like from outside. It's for outsiders, you know, because like because like real yeah. hardcore gamers and stuff would have been like, all right, got them all. <laughs> I'll do one quick justification of it and then I'll okay. back out. But it's it's also way further in the future. So the I not way, way further, but it's for it's supposed to take place at Distantly, it'd be like us trying to hash out '50s memes and pop culture clues from the, the 1940s and '50s. And well, right, and but and that, that was one of my fundamental issues with the the book is that like this mysterious benefactor like set up the entire world to like that just so happened to fall into this guy's wheelhouse. That's pretty convenient. Elon Musk likes the same things as me, and. <laughs> He he made this Willy Wonka esque scavenger hunt, and I just I just happened to be. That's all my stuff. Well, I, I remember if I remember correctly, he 
they everybody studies for it like that they know that this is but that but it but essentially the book is oh this is my jam oh, right, right. <laughs> yeah you're right i you're like right. i like Gallagher. he already had a lot of it before it became known that was the thing that y'all remember doing. back to the future that was <laughs> awesome it's like yeah right so i'm gonna go watch back to the future instead of watching your Watching you talk about Back to the Future. Ready Player One, both the book and the movie, are really just kind of like the main symptom of of the disease that current culture has is like nostalgia plays way too much of a part of it. And in it, really has for years because i mean Mm -hmm. 70s everybody was wishing it was back in the 50s happy days american graffiti and stuff like that but it's just to the point where that like that's the story now we got 80s stuff in it i can't tell you how many times i see stuff come in on my facebook feed just like you like this if you like the 80 like this (laughs) you like you happen to like this time frame that had lots of things going on besides exactly you know what i like i like glass nos y'all remember that Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's just it's it's lazy. It's mm-hmm. you know going back to Josh's the Big Bang Theory. Uh, I remember seeing this thing on their internet. It's like Irish people watching the Big Bang Theory for the first time, and this guy, <laughs> like they 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 had this was like, is that is that supposed to be a joke? I mean, he's, he's just saying maths. <laughs> That's not a joke. It's like exactly that isn't a joke. If 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 you want to see like the truth of the Big Bang Theory, there's like clips out there where they remove the laugh track. <laughs> it's like it's it's painful. But so yeah, with like the the nostalgia thing, I think you know because like I there was big hype. Uh, especially like on Twitter and stuff, and I don't know how much of it was organic and how much of it was was hype, but the the Fear Street trilogy, and it was like so it was like three films loosely based on some R.L. Stein young adult novels, but it's like the first one takes place in '97, and then there's one in the '70s, and then one in like the 1670s or whatever, and they're connected. And everybody's like, "Oh my god, so good! Oh my god!" So I watched '97. And um, it was beyond derivative, and it, it's the first time that like, so like I remember the eighties. I was I was a kid, but like like nineteen ninety seven, I was fully realized human at that point. And yeah. uh, <laughs> and I watched Josh, it. Just like, you're not a you're not a fully realized human now. Fair enough. <laughs> I'm a flawed but we'll, AI, but, we'll, but um, we'll give we'll give it to you. Keep going. <laughs> but like you know, the choice of music that these kids were listening to was like like you're not going to listen to those back to back. The people that you know is like it was going from like Cypress Hill to Mazzy Star and stuff, and it's like that's greatest hits, but that's not how that's not how music worked, back right? Then. That is not <laughs> how people you know nope. There's no crossover. The, yeah, and there, and this is long before you could choose, right? Like you know, I mean, and unless just, you made a mixtape, but you know, that's a whole and, lot of work. And it was just little things. I mean, the, the, it was it was really trying to to evoke like scream and all these other kind of kind of which it's like weird to like like screams a meta film. It's like don't like it's the, the negative feedback loop starts getting crazy when you start referencing referential films. It's just dizzying. Even just the way people were dressed, you're like. Mm, no, there's a scene in this like B Dalton's or something, and, and the girls wearing like the, the the choker and the plaid and stuff. I'm like, they didn't let you dress like that, like <laughs> at the bookstore. That's I was there, man. <laughs> <laughs> you obviously weren't. Uh, and on that note, <laughs> Josh, you're uh, not a fully realized human being. That's right. <laughs> what what else? Uh, what else you guys got? I've got. 
and this I is, could go all day. Yeah, I, <laughs> well, this is uh, someone who I know at least occasionally listens to the program. Probably not going to like me saying this, but Donnie Darko. Like when this movie came out in the late '90s and into the early 2000s, you know, everyone who wasn't, you know, one of the squares <laughs> or you know, just like the normals. Like, love this yeah. movie. This is like the greatest movie ever. And I watched it and I was like, nope. Okay, yep. is there another cut of this? Because. Well, there's like seven cuts, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not, none of them are good. It, it, it's definitely one of those things. And it, you had this in the 90s a lot. If it was like weird and out there, oh, it's a great movie. Yeah. Despite its actual quality. <laughs> Yeah. And it's like, okay, yeah, a lot of this doesn't make sense. A lot of this is just a bunch of pseudo-intellectual mumbo-jumbo sewn together to make you think that it's an intelligent movie. There is the description of our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, we at no point make you think we're intelligent. Pseudo-intelligent mumbo-jumbo. <laughs> we are... We are curmudgeonly middle-aged men that think our opinion matters. I uh, this this I, is get I don't off even going that far. This is get <laughs> off get off my lawn. The podcast. I I agree with Jason a hundred percent on this movie. Which oh yeah, I've, I've hated it, and I never. And it's I think it was another. Um, I hate this movie so much. It's almost a bellwether for me. If somebody tells me like, oh, that's my favorite movie, I are I immediately know everything I need to know about their film opinions. You know, if, <laughs> if you say that's your favorite movie, I I think two things. One. You're you haven't un- seen it. right. You're un- <laughs> you're under eighteen, and okay. two, yeah, and two, true. or you're emotionally under eighteen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you never, awesome. you never got over did. high school, did you? We well, all mean those guys. They were real mean. <laughs> we just sit close to the bone for somebody. <laughs> Pro- so, probably somebody I bullied in high school. Oh. <laughs> he hadn't changed. <laughs> I just Man, I would out. hate to see the person that you bullied in high school. Like how far down on the, the total? They were, the, they were, there was one guy. <laughs> <laughs> it was his first day. I had to attack him before people thought he was cool. <laughs> it was a mirror. <laughs> it was, that's, that's, a, that's the Twilight Zone twist. Oh, was, I, I was only hating myself the whole time. <laughs> I think Donnie Darko's and like I said, a lot of other '90s movies like this, stuff like yeah. Doom Generation and stuff like that. Yeah, uh, it is very much what I feel is like the the center of overhyped as far as not marketing or anything like that, but just from the public. And that is the gatekeeping aspect of it. You know, there there are people that say, "Oh, well, you know, this is this is a great thing. If you don't like this, you're not on my level." Yeah. You know, and that's that's through society everywhere, and it's generally bunk. You know, <laughs> that, that's something coming from uh, us because uh, we are gatekeepers ourselves. You, you know what? You know what Donnie Darko is to me. And I'll, this is this will make no sense to anybody else, but all don't the say who, it. All the people who really, really liked Donnie Darko back when that was the thing also liked Ramstein the band, <laughs> <laughs> and they and they were like. If you don't like Ramstein, you just don't get life, man. You just don't understand. You that, know, that, dude is just, that dude is just recovering from the last cut. Now he's no, now you're going after Ramstein. <laughs> I'm like, I mean, they, they, they the, have flamethrowers the, in their shows, man. Yeah, I mean, they got the one song, I guess, but you know, I mean, 
They'll play it for three hours. I don't. I don't know. I don't. I don't necessarily feel, Jim, that this is a way of life. (laughs) As long as you don't uh, attack ICP, uh, (laughs) no, that that is a lifestyle. That is a lifestyle, right? (laughs) Actually, I wouldn't say anything about ICP because I don't want meth heads attacking me. Hacksaw Jim Duggan's here to protect me. <laughs> so in No, I think he's the method. In, in he's got a two by four. <laughs> oh <laughs> tough guy. <laughs> the the same vein is that this is supposed to be some kind of intellectual masterpiece, or there's more to the story than the just the story is this movie uh that I think Josh was gonna talk about last year and <sighs> It's the same. It's that same time period in the nineties. Yeah. There, you know, where everybody was trying to make movies that were were you as the viewer you were supposed to perceive there's some deeper meaning. There are movies that made that you could name drop to make you seem smart. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Let's. All right. Lay it out there. <laughs> What's funny is though, I don't think that this film aged very well. I think. I think my view about particularly for reasons we now understand. Right. I I think my my view of the film is probably how it will be remembered. And that is Oscar winning American beauty. Yeah. Wow. What a piece of garbage. (laughs) And here's the sad thing. Uh, It's directed by Sam Mendes, who has made like the best two Bond movies of the past 25 Mm -hmm. years. Well, it, it, visually the the film is has very interesting content wise roger ebert um didn't like the film and and he talked about how basically it had the plot structure of a screwball comedy and how all these uh misinterpretations of what was actually happening led to the demise of um Kevin Spacey, like, right. like, like led, led to his ultimate demise is basically it's a comedy of errors, which is it's a very screwball comedy setup. Um, like, you know, like where the, 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 the militaristic dad thinks that his son's having it off with him and it's like, they're just exercising. Um, so like aside from the whole dude skeeving on his high school daughter's best friend, like I, take that out of the equation and it's still a bad, like fundamentally flaw and it's like i think the 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 subtext of the film was supposed to be like oh you know middle america fooey on that and it's like yeah is that's not even anything new man the the monkeys sang songs about the 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 hokiness of suburbia like (laughs) it's really like they just had like all these cliches on a dartboard (laughs) in the the writing room and they're just throwing it's like Well, so I think it's important to mention people that don't really know deep film history or whatever. But, you know, you said that um, Ebert didn't like it, but he was kind of out on that because it was widely, widely Mm -hmm. believed to be the best movie of 1999. I Mm -hmm. mean, every critic loved it. In fact, I just looked up and it's it still has an 87 percent among among critics uh, or it did at the time it came out. Eighty seven percent of the of the film critics at the time it was released gave it a positive review. And it, I don't. I agree with you. I don't think it ages as well. And I think it's really a testament of kind of drinking your own bathwater in Hollywood sometimes. Uh, Once again, yeah, it, it, yeah, the '90s had definitely gotten to the point of the the very cynical film, and that was mm-hmm. generally, you know, by late '90s that that was the one that people thought, oh, that's edgy. That's 
you right. know, it's bringing a truth to America that we don't want to see. And yeah, well, like, yeah. like now where we're in this era of shoving nostalgia down your throat and the nineties was very much cynicism because nothing, nothing could be either pure or, or even like good on the surface. Everything had to be rotten underneath. And, uh, thanks Gen X. <laughs> <laughs> Really like that. Everything's terrible. As as we'd spent two hours talking about how terrible everything is. <laughs> I was I was shaped. I, was, I watched Reality Bites, and I hated that movie so much it made me hate everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, except for Janine Garofalo. <laughs> if uh, if he, unless either of you have something to add, I think uh, I think we've we've taken up enough of our poor listeners' time. And any, any final remarks before we close out here? All right then. Josh well, hates snatch. <laughs> I rewatched it. I really liked it actually this time. Are you crapping me or are you <laughs> Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm crapping you. <laughs> and Charlie Brown every time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh if you enjoyed this episode or if you hated it, let us know. Uh we'd love to hear from you at the, at uh, anchor.fm forward slash bricked pit. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter where we're very active and have an engaged community of fans who uh, would be glad to welcome you in. And if you want to send us an email, that's at brickpit at gmail.com. And uh, we'll see you next time.